It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours. We roll along till 11 a.m. Eastern. We got some breaking news, usually a rarity on this show this kind of early in the morning to have some big time news break. But we do. The Denver Broncos have found their new head coach. It is now Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett taking over the reins for Denver. He will be their next head coach. We'll get to that in 15 minutes from now. Is it a good hire? And what does this mean for the Broncos moving forward? We have a lot to get into. Conference championship weekend. We got Chiefs Bengals. We got 49ers Rams. Who is going to win? I will tell you my two answers. James Harden's future in question. Could he be traded at the deadline? Well, Adrian Wojnarowski uh, gave some details. We'll let you know what those are. And the possibility of Harding getting moved in a few weeks, the deadline, uh, trade deadline, NBA, February 10th. So coming right up the, you know, coming right around the corner. So we got a lot to get into for the next two hours. So let's jump right in. As always, we are coming to you live from where else? But the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, where it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners make sure you check out bigitalypizza.com to find a location near you it is conference championship weekend in the nfl so you know what let's give you some predictions let's give you some previews i think the chiefs are going to beat the Bengals and advance to their third straight super bowl i think the rams are finally kind of exercising their demons and beating the 49ers so let's start with chiefs Bengals, and the afc the reason why I'm going Chiefs is because I think right now the Chiefs are just too hot. They are too hot offensively. I think no team in the NFL is able to keep up with the offensive explosion that right now they are putting on display the last six weeks of the season. And really, the last six weeks of the season, the Chiefs, for the first time this year, have finally looked like the Chiefs of old. Well, you have Tyreek Hill ripping off big chunks. Unfortunately, the Bills went that firsthand. But he's ripping off massive plays and really being a game changer um, with big explosive plays. You have Travis Kelsey back to being the most unguardable tight end in the NFL. And Patrick Holmes is just strat, uh, flat out straight, uh, slinging it. Arm angles, tight windows. He is doing it all in. He is looking like the Mahomes that we saw in 2018, 2019, and 2020. As we know... It wasn't always the case, right? For a large part of the season, the Chiefs' offense was struggling. It at times even looked broken. But there's a huge reason why the Chiefs' offense is back on track. It's back to looking like the Chiefs of old. It's because everyone, everyone is getting involved on the offense. And we go back to earlier in the season, right? One of the big reasons why I thought the Chiefs' offense was struggling to put up points, was struggling to move the ball, and why Patrick Mahomes was struggling with turnovers is because really he and the Chiefs' offense became locked in on two guys, Tyreek Hill 
and Travis Kelsey. Now, those were the only two players that Mahomes was thrown to, the only two players he's really relying on. And finally, after three years of domination, after watching three years of Hill and Kelsey tear up defenses, defensive coordinators and, and teams started realizing, all we got to do is take these two guys away. Now, I say all you got to do. Easier said than done. But teams started playing basically prevent defense, not allowing Tyreek Hill to beat them over the top, double covering Travis Kelsey uh, over the middle. And then all of a sudden, Patrick Holmes couldn't find anywhere to throw. He was forcing balls. That led to interceptions. He wasn't looking at his third or fourth option, which, again, prevented you know, the offense moving the ball down the field and really had him bogged down, and they weren't scoring as many points as we thought. It took a while for the Chiefs, for Patrick Holmes, for Andy Reid, for Eric Bieniemy to finally adjust and realize what defenses were doing and how to beat it. But when I say the reason why the Chiefs offense looks like the Chiefs old because everyone's getting involved, that's exactly what happened. All of a sudden, Patrick Holmes started dumping the ball off to running backs. He started looking at his third or fourth option like Nicole Hardman, like Byron Pringle. And all of a sudden, getting you know, 10, 12 yards at a time, even five or six yards at a time, targeting those guys eventually opened it up to where Tyreek Hill would get one-on-one coverage where the Chiefs would want, where Travis Kelsey would get one-on-one coverage like the Chiefs would like, and that is when the big plays truly do come. Right, look at the look at the postseason. Right, they have played two games right against the Steelers, and obviously that epic classic game against the Bills last week. Look at some of the players who have put up big-time contributions in the postseason alone. You have Jarek McKinnon, who honestly, I will be honest, forgot who's in the league. This is a dead man walking in San Francisco, could not stay healthy, could not get on the field. You, he barely kind of played for the Chiefs this season. All of a sudden, because of an injury to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he comes in and in two playoff games combined has over 200 total yards and two touchdowns in the postseason. That's a guy that Patrick Holmes, again, has started targeting when you want to double and triple cover Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Fine. Here's Jarek McKinnon in the handoff. Here's Jarek McKinnon on the screen or a dump off, and he's making big plays. Again, 200 total yards, two touchdowns in the playoffs alone. Byron Pringle. Byron Pringle's all of a sudden now a, a playoff primetime player. Three total touchdowns in two games. You have Miko Hardman. You have Demarcus Robinson making some big explosive plays in the offense as well. Even Patrick Holmes himself. We saw it especially on Sunday against the Bills in that AFC Divisional round game. He made plays with his legs. If everyone is covered, if there's no opening to throw the ball, he's just tucking it and running. There's no spy on Patrick Holmes. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Josh Allen. He has, he's mobile. There's a threat of his legs, but no team is preparing for it. So when you want to drop eight or nine guys in a coverage, or if you want to even blitz and you don't get home, Patrick Holmes is able to make plays with his legs. Even on Sunday, leading rusher for the Chiefs with 69 rushing yards and a touchdown. And honestly, I tweeted this at the time. I'm not sure if you feel the same way. But there was at least 12 different times I thought the Bills were going to get a sack on Patrick Holmes. Where they blitzed, where they had great coverage, Mahomes was sitting back there, the pocket was collapsed, I thought, oh, he's going to go down. And somehow, he was able to not only wiggle out of it, but also was able, to, for the most part, to pick up positive yards. So his legs now have become a big threat. So when you have guys like McKinnon, like Pringle, like Hardman, like Mahomes, making plays all of a sudden, that opens things up for Terry Kill and Travis Kelsey. And as we know, they have both been able to feast so far in the playoffs. Both have over 200 yards receiving. Both each have two touchdown receptions in the postseason alone. 
So again, when you're spreading the ball out, when you're getting everyone involved, defenses now all of a sudden start becoming uh, start to come impatient. Then all of a sudden start taking some chances, whether it's blitzing, whether it's covering Mahomes, uh, whether it's having try Hill and Kelsey one on one. And as we know, especially in crunch time, that is where those two make a killing. Ask the Buffalo Bills. So look at this Chiefs offense in the two postseason games. They have put up 42 points in each game. The last six games of the, of, of the season, including the two playoff games, the Chiefs are averaging 37 points per game. The Chiefs' offense for me is back. And even though Cincinnati has an extremely explosive offense, we saw it a few weeks ago when they beat the Chiefs straight up, right, on that walk-off field goal to clinch the AFC North and have that great game go back and forth. The Bengals were able to keep up with the Chiefs and obviously outscore them. But with that said, this time around, the reason why I think the Chiefs' offense is going to be too much, number one, I think that offensive line for Cincinnati is still, to me, very scary, where they are not giving Joe Burrow still a lot of time. In both playoff games, he's been under siege, and that has led to the offense getting bogged down at times. And also, because of that first matchup, where you had Jamar Chase make history with the most uh, receiving yards in a single game by a rookie, 266 and three touchdowns. Here's a hot take for you. I don't think Steve Spagnuolo, the Chiefs defensive coordinator, is going to allow that to happen again. I think he's going to double, even times triple, cover Jamar Chase to prevent an explosion like they saw the last time these two teams met in Cincinnati a few weeks ago. So I think Jamar Chase is not going to be able to have an explosive game as he did a few weeks ago. I think the O-line, with Joe Burrow being under siege and getting sacked a few times, I think it's going to ruin a few drives. And right now, there's no real stopping the Chiefs' offense. I will go Chiefs at home, laying the seven to beat the Bengals and advance to their third consecutive Super Bowl. Who will they meet? I'm glad you asked. I think they're going to meet the Rams. And here's why. Even though the 49ers have swept the season series from the Rams, they won both games, even though Kyle Shanahan has now won six consecutive games over Sean McVay, I do think Sunday was a defining moment for the Rams and extremely, or especially I should say, a defining moment for Matthew Stafford. I think that game against the Buccaneers truly showed us, the fans, the doubters especially, and even Sean McVay and his Rams teammates, that Matthew Stafford absolutely is the guy in the playoffs that can carry a team. So I think so far his postseason stats through two games against the Cardinals and the Bucks show you two things about Matthew Stafford. Number one, when you desperately need a play, when you need your quarterback to step up and be the difference, I think Matthew Stafford has absolutely showed you he can do that. Again, no better example than that Cooper Cup throw the 44-yard completion that saved the Rams' bacon, that saved the game, saved their season. Because I do think if that game gets overtime, the Rams are not winning. The momentum is too much on the Bucks and Tom Brady's side. That game was slipping. Everyone except Matthew Stafford was doing their part to lose the game. Cooper Cup had a fumble. You had uh, Cam Akers have two fumbles. The defense all of a sudden couldn't stop a nosebleed. Collectively, outside of Matthew Stafford, the Rams were doing everything they could to get Tom Brady back in the game and to blow a 27-3 lead. But credit to Matthew Stafford. Even on first down with 42 seconds left, Sean McVay decided to call a QB draw. I don't understand. Found Cooper Cup for 20 yards, Cooper Cup for 44 yards, game-winning field goal, game over, Rams move on. I think Matthew Stafford, in that final drive alone, but even throughout the entire game where he threw for 366 yards and three touchdowns, or total three touchdowns, 
He is absolutely the guy you can rely on in the postseason to be a big-time player. But also, I thought, he also showed, especially Sean McVay, he can be trusted in the big moment. And here's what I mean by that. I do think, especially on Sunday, Sean McVay got a little conservative on the offense. You're up 27-3. to I get there's a fine line between too aggressive and being too conservative. Like, like you want to be smart. You want to run clock. You want to limit your mistakes. But also, you don't want to stop playing offense. I think Chris Collinsworth said on the broadcast a few times, if you're the Rams, don't stop playing offense. Basically, don't run into the line three times and punt and play conservative. You want to keep the foot on the, on the gas and only increase the deficit for Tom Brady and the Bucs to kind of take away their hope. Right, the, the more three and outs, the more running into the line of scrimmage and just getting off the field playing conservative, the more momentum feeds into Tampa Bay's side. And I thought, again, before that final drive, Sean McVay was a little too conservative at times with Matthew Stafford not letting him rip, not letting him throw the ball. And I think not only for him to make those two big throws to Cooper Cup with less than a minute left, but also for him to play turnover-free football so far through the first two games, I think he has earned the trust of Matt, uh, Sean McVay to where now on Sunday they will not play conservative. Because I thought that's really, especially in the second game, which was the final game of the year against the 49ers, Week 18, I thought that's what happened and why the Rams lost the game. They're up 17 nothing right before half. I do think the Rams took their foot off the gas. And they go, all right, we're going to cruise to victory. We got this. And went into halftime up 17-3. Didn't really take the 49ers seriously. When they came out and threw a punch, all of a sudden the Rams were kind of flustered. Matthew Stafford threw a pick. All of a sudden the defense couldn't get many stops. And now, as you know, went back and forth, back and forth. Eventually the 49ers did win in overtime. But I don't think the Rams were ready to play in that game. I do think they became conservative in part because I don't think Sean McVay fully trusted Matthew Stafford at the time to not make a mistake. I mean, he threw a pick in the 49er game in Week 18 that led to a comeback, but he had eight interceptions the final four games of the regular season. So even though I'm a Matthew Stafford believer, even though I picked the Rams to go to the Super Bowl before the season and absolutely standing by that, and not surprised Matthew Stafford came up clutch against the Buccaneers, I understand at times your apprehension because Matthew Stafford was very careless with the football. Again, eight picks in four games is not an accident. It's not exactly, you know, a, a stat that has you feeling great heading to the postseason where one mistake can truly change the game and alter your season and end your season. I get to a point why Sean McVay was a little hesitant in allowing Matthew Stafford maybe to throw the ball with a lead because, again, you're worried about the interception, a pick six. That could truly change the game. But now I do think, especially Matthew Stafford playing well on Sunday, coming up clutch at being the reason why you won, I think there's going to be no apprehension. There's going to be no conservative play calling come Sunday. I think the Rams from the get-go are going to be full throttle forward. And I think they are going to finally, Finally get their revenge on the 49ers. McVay is going to finally overcome the dominance that Sha uh, Kyle Shanahan knows over him. I think the Rams are going to the Super Bowl and playing it in their own house. So I think the Rams are beating the 49ers on Sunday. I think the Chiefs are beating the Bengals on Sunday as well. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Conference championship weekend is upon us. Who's going to the Super Bowl? Who is your pick to win these games this weekend? Love to hear your thoughts on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSR run underscore radio at Ryan Hickey show on Twitter as well. When we do return here, we have some breaking news. Like I mentioned before, the Broncos have found their new head coach. It is Packers offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. Is it a good move? Do the Broncos make the right hire? We will discuss that when we return. It's the Ryan Hickey show right here on the worldwide sports radio network.
It, it, it's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We do have some breaking news in the NFL early on this morning being reported all over. Adam Schefter, Tom Palacero, all those great NFL insiders were all over it. The Denver Broncos, out of the nine jobs that are open, are the first to make their hire. They are going with Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. Former... Packers OC, like I just mentioned, was there for the last two or three years since 2019, was with the Jaguars as well in 2017 when they went to the AFC title game. So Nathaniel Hackett's been on some successful teams recently. Obviously, he has coached Aaron Rodgers the last three seasons, two of those most likely being MVP seasons. Is this a good hire for the Broncos? For me, absolutely. Absolutely, I like this hire a lot because obviously – it puts them in good position to land Aaron Rodgers. Now, I will say this. Hope is a hope is not a strategy. Hope is absolutely not a strategy. So obviously, maybe the Broncos have a little more inside knowledge, and maybe the family Hackett obviously will have a little more uh, of the inside track on Aaron Rodgers' mindset and his future compared to let's say people like myself and you. We are just, you know, reading the headlines, trying to read the tea leaves. So, in one sense, it's a dangerous gamble to make that basically if you're hiring Nathaniel Hackett with the hopes of Aaron Rodgers coming to Denver and whether he stays in Green Bay, whether he decides he wants to go elsewhere, obviously it's a gamble then you lose out. And if you're not enthralled with Nathaniel Hackett, then it's like, oh, well, what the hell are you going to do? But I do think the gamble is worth, like I said, hope is not a strategy, but I do think this is a gamble worth taking the risk on. Because if you look at the Denver Broncos uh, as an organization, They've had one good quarterback since John Elway. John Elway retired in the late 90s. So we were talking almost in my lifetime. I'm 27 years old. Almost in my entire lifetime, outside of John Elway, the Broncos have had one good quarterback since. And it's been Peyton Manning. So the only other quarterback Denver's been able to find in really over two decades, really 25 years, has been Peyton Manning, who, kind of similar to Aaron Rodgers, was a guy with a lot of accomplishments already, his former team, the Colts, cut, him, cut Peyton because of the neck injury. The, the, uh, the Packers might move on from Aaron Rodgers either because he wants to or because of his age and his contract. But either way, it's kind of, I don't say damaged goods, but it is a situation where you are getting an extremely uh, accomplished veteran quarterback to come as a hired gun to try to win a Super Bowl in, let's say, three or four years. you got a very small window, but again, you're getting a quarterback that's still one of the best in the, in the NFL to do it. And... I think it's the right strategy because the Denver Broncos have been unable to find their guy. You know, the Denver, uh, the, I should say the Cleveland Browns, right, have always been a team where people make fun of for their quarterback and lack of being able to find them. We have that famous um, mannequin, right, that all that have the list of quarterback names that all been crossed out, and the, the list goes from the, from the back all the way down to the floor because that's how many quarterbacks the Browns have shuffled through, right, over the last two decades. Well, the Broncos – Low-key have been kind of the same thing. Again, outside of Peyton Manning, look at who's been quarterback for them. Jay Cutler, Trevor Simeon, Drew Locke, Joe Flacco, Case Keenum, Brock Osweiler. Like, they themselves have ran, Tim Tebow, have ran through a ton of quarterbacks that have all failed and failed relatively quickly. 
So you look at the quarterback dysfunction in Denver. Yeah. Go for broke. Go for the guy in Aaron Rodgers who's not only the most coveted quarterback on the market, but the most talented quarterback on the market right now that's available. Go for it because that's the only blueprint that Denver's been able to do the last 25 years is find quarterbacks that have been exiled for one way or another from their team previously, and you could still get three or four good years out of them. So I like that the Broncos kind of going for broke here and taking their chances, taking their swing in landing Aaron Rodgers because you look at this team, the way they're constructed, where they're built, they are a quarterback away from legitimate Super Bowl contention. I get the AFC, uh, AFC West is really building up to be one of the toughest divisions in football. I would say the NFC West right now is the toughest, but I would say the AFC West is the second toughest. I put it ahead of the North. I put it ahead of conferences like the even the NFC South at times that's been somewhat competitive or the, the AFC East that's on the rise. But the AFC West, obviously, if you're Aaron Rodgers going to the Broncos, you're going to have Patrick Holmes to deal with the rest of your career. He's going nowhere. You're going to have Justin Herbert to deal with. He's going nowhere. And I think that the Chargers will only get better. I mean, this is a great learning tool for them. I think next year they'll come out stronger to where they'll be a playoff team. And the Raiders... They are absolutely a question mark to where I'm not sure how sustainable this 2021 season was. Like, Are they going to be a perennial playoff team every single year? I would probably lean towards no. But again, if you hire Jim Harbaugh, who has had success in the NFL, it's a different question. So now you are looking at the AFC West as arguably the toughest division in football. But with that said, I still think it's worth it for Aaron Rodgers. Where you have great receivers, whether it is Corlin Sutton, whether it's Tim Patrick, whether it's even, you know, guys like KJ Hamler who have to stay healthy. But there's a lot of young skill talent on the Broncos. You have Noah Fan at tight end. You have Javante Williams, a nice little rookie running back who had a solid year in year one in Denver. Obviously, you have a great defense. The secondary is a massive strength for you. The the front four can really get after the quarterback. They have a lot there in Denver to where again, you are one quarterback away from, I would say, being on par with the Chiefs. If you put Aaron Rodgers on the Broncos right now, I would say they are neck and neck. They're above the Chargers. They're above the Raiders. They are above the Bengals, above the Bills. I would put the Broncos neck and neck, one in 1A, with the Chiefs and the AFC next year if they were able to get Aaron Rodgers. So if you're Rodgers, sure, is it as likely for you to make the Super Bowl in Denver as it was in Green Bay? No, I would say the AFC is tougher and deeper than right now where the NFC is. But with that said, also, you have as good a chance as anyone in the AFC to make a run. But also, I think this is really important if you're the Broncos and if you're Aaron Rodgers. One of the things he has talked about, one of the things he has mentioned, is the fact that he wants to play with Devontae Adams. His future, Devontae's future, will be a big um, impact, will have a big impact on the future of Aaron Rodgers, whether he goes or stays. He mentioned on, on Pat McAfee's show earlier this week. Right, One of the decisions for him, whether he wants to stay in Green Bay and move on, is Devontae Adams. He mentioned the franchise tag. Will Devontae get a long-term deal? Right now, the Packers are in cap hell. They have the second-worst cap space in all the NFL behind only the Saints, or in front of only the Saints, I should say. So getting a long-term deal done with Devontae Adams, who's going to be the highest-paid receiver when it's all said and done, seems very unlikely if you're the Packers. So if you're Aaron Rodgers, you realize, okay, we're probably going to lose Devontae Adams too free to see where could he go. Well, I know Denver has a lot of wide receivers, but you look at Denver and their cap space, Denver absolutely could and should sign Devontae Adams. They have the sixth most cap space in all the NFL. So if you're Aaron Rodgers, not only can you go play for your offense coordinator, Nathaniel Ackett, who he likes, 
and a set of the record that he likes to work with, you also have the ability to be a package and go to Denver with your favorite receiver. And now, after complaining about not having a reliable second or third option in Green Bay in the receiver room, you have now Corlin Sun and Tim Patrick as really good number twos and number threes if you're able to bring Devonta Adams and have both of you go to Denver. So if you look at the Broncos, I love what they did. I love taking the chance. I love going all in on Aaron Rodgers again because you have the team right now. You have the team. You have young players that are right now inexpensive, especially on the defensive end, where you can keep that and kind of try to build a 2015 team with a better quarterback. I love Peyton Manning. But 2015, Peyton Manning was a shell of himself. He was a statue back there. And the Broncos won the Super Bowl in spite of Peyton Manning. Well, now you can have a similar dominant defense in 2022, but with a quarterback that is still at the prime of his you know, game coming off of back-to-back MVP awards. So I like, I love the fact that the Broncos are going all in on Aaron Rodgers. I think this is the best case for them. Whether it's the draft, you look at the quarterbacks that are out there, not really one that's jumping out. There's not really a quarterback that you say, that's going to be our franchise guy. So, okay, you're not going to probably draft a quarterback. Outside of Aaron Rodgers, look, Russell Wilson is a very attractive option, obviously. Maybe Nathaniel Hackett is someone that entices Russ enough to where he feel like he can have some say in the offense and there'll be kind of elaboration there. So maybe that also works hand-in-hand. If you don't get Rodgers, maybe Russell Wilson looks at the Broncos as an attractive job, maybe compared to if Dan Quinn was head coach. And outside of those two, Jimmy G, not really, you know, enthralled. Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, you know, there's not a lot of enticing options. So if you are the Broncos, you got to go all in on Rodgers, and I love them doing so. I think this Nathaniel Hackett hire is the right move. It's a smart move, and I think it's a move that absolutely can result in not only Aaron Rodgers coming to town, but Devontae Adams. If you're Devontae too, wouldn't you want to play in an offense where, sure, Matt LaFleur is the one calling the plays, and obviously Matt LaFleur is a, a major impact on the offense, but Nathaniel Hackett's the offensive coordinator. Obviously, Devontae Adams has been very, very successful on the field, results-wise, with yards, receptions, touchdowns in the Green Bay Packers offense led by Nathaniel Hackett. So you got to think, if you want to keep that going, if you're Rodgers, if you're Adams, well, the best way to kind of keep what they got going outside of Green Bay is to go to Denver. Kind of keep the band together, just do so in another location. It's like the band that's touring. You know, you can have a great show, you can have a, a great set in New York, but hey, let's go out to Chicago and keep, keep it going. Keep everything similar. I think that is what's going on with Denver right now. I think that's why hiring Nathaniel Hackett is absolutely the right move. It's not only giving Aaron Rodgers a reason to come out to Denver. It's also trying to lure Devontae Adams getting a package deal. If Rodgers wants to play with Devontae, the Broncos have the sixth most cap space available. They're able to sign him. You'll have solid number two and number three wide receiver depth behind Devontae Adams. And if you're Devontae, you want to keep, obviously, your production going. Well, one of the best ways to do so is to play with your offensive coordinator that helped design the offense that you flourished in. And if you're Rodgers, yeah, you keep continuity by playing in a similar offense. And by the way, you get to play with, as you called him, the best player you have ever played with. Pretty high praise from Aaron Rodgers, who has played with some greats throughout his Packer career. 
So I love the Broncos, love the Broncos going all in, kind of putting their chips on the table and saying, we want Nathaniel Hackett because we think that's going to lead us to Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. We're going to basically go big or go home. I love it from Denver. I love the risk. I love the gamble. 10 out of 10 higher and them hiring former Packers OC Nathaniel Hackett. Now, this is the only uh, head coaching hire that's basically been official, been reported. Now, there's another head coaching hire that's rumored to be close to happening, and that's Brian Dayball to the Dolphins. Pat Leonard, who covers not only the Giants, but the NFL for the New York Daily News. Obviously, the Giants hiring Joe Shane, the former Buffalo Bills exec, as their GM. There's a lot of speculation that Brian Dayball would be you know, interviewed and be a favorite for the New York Giants head coach uh, opening. But yesterday, Pat Leonard did report that, according to his sources, Brian Dable is the favorite to become a head coach, but not for the Giants, but to land with the Dolphins. And I think this would be a tremendous hire. 10 out of 10. I think this could be arguably one of the best hires of the cycle if the Dolphins are able to land Brian Dable because he is able, not only does he possess skills that the Dolphins need, he also fits the vision of Miami. Why was Brian Flores fired? Well, Brian Flores was fired one, because in part he had bad communication and was unable to get along with Chris Greer. Okay, it sounds a little, little childish to me. But another reason why he was fired was because he was not on the same, he didn't have the same vision for Tua that Chris Greer, the GM, did and Stephen Ross, the owner, did. They are committed to Tua. According to reports, at least, that it's out there, the, Brian Flores is the big person, was the big voice that was pushing for a Deshaun Watson trade back in during the season before the trade deadline. And it wasn't Chris Greer and it wasn't Stephen Ross. They were apprehensive. They still wanted to see what Tua has. So you had a head coach that was not on board the quarterback while the GM and the owner were. So now you think, okay, we got to bring in a guy that's on board with our quarterback. Well, there's no person that's more on board with Tua than Brian Dable. Let's not forget, go back to 2017. Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator at Alabama. He coached Tua Tungavailoa. And an important piece of information to remember here is this. Brian Dayball was at Alabama for one season. They won a national title. That was the year, if you remember, where Jalen Hurts was a starter for most of the year. That at halftime of the national championship game against Georgia, uh, Nick Saban pulled Jalen Hurts and put in Tua Tungvaloa. He led the comeback as you know, he threw the game-winning pass in overtime to win the game, to win the national title. But Brian Dayball was at Alabama for just one season and then went to become the Bills offensive coordinator in Buffalo in 2018 in part because Brian Dable was frustrated with Nick Saban. Why was he frustrated with Nick Saban? Because Brian Dable wanted to play Tua Tungavailoa earlier than in the second half of the national title game. He wanted to pull Jalen Hurts earlier in the year around November when the offense was starting to, to struggle and Nick Saban said no we're sick with Jalen Hurts. So you have a guy in Brian Dayball who believes in Tua so much that during the, the middle of an undefeated season, wanted to pull Jalen Hurts in favor of freshman Tua Tungavailoa. So you go from a head coach in Brian Flores that didn't believe in Tua to a coach in Brian Dayball that believes so much in Tua that he left Alabama to take another job in part because he was frustrated with how Nick Saban viewed Tua compared to how he viewed Tua. So you can now hire Brian Dable, who's not only a believer in your current quarterback, a quarterback that you want to see succeed, he also has these skills to turn Tua Tungvaloa into a franchise guy. 
Look what Brian Dable is able to do with Josh Allen in Buffalo. He developed him to the point where Josh Allen is, I would say at this point, in the elite category of quarterbacks. You know me, I'm very hesitant on, on heaping praise to Josh Allen. I'm very hesitant on jumping on the Josh Allen bandwagon. But you look at his progression from when he was taken as a rookie in 2018 to when he had a near MVP year in 2020. With Brian Dable there all three years, you look at how Josh Allen was able to progress. We're from year one to year two to year three. His stats improved in every category, including completion percentage. It improved every single year. His passing yards increased every single year. So more responsibility, he, in part, took the responsibility in stride. His touchdown passes increased every single year. His interceptions hovered around the scene. 12 interceptions his rookie year, 9 his second year, 10 his third year. So he's throwing the ball more. He is having a higher completion percentage. He's throwing more touchdown passes. But for the most part, the picks stay around the same. So his bad decision-making didn't increase with the, with the amount of throws he was making. His passing attempts increased every single year. His passer rating increased every single year. So Josh Allen is able to make a big leap from year one, where he was extremely inconsistent, extremely raw, coming out of Wyoming, to where year two, year two is able to lead the Bills to the playoffs. And by year three, they made it to the conference championship game. And again, Josh Allen developed into an MVP quarterback. So he steadily increased from his rookie year to year two to year three. That is what you want. That is the progress you want your offensive coordinator to, to make and have an impact on a young quarterback. I think he could do the same with Tua. You look at Tua so far and what he's had to deal with in Miami. Obviously, his rookie year, COVID year, it's tough to come in um, when you don't really have much training camp. You're coming off of an injury, an extremely serious injury with a hip, where he still wasn't fully healthy. By the time he was inserted into the lineup after seven games or after six games, he clearly wasn't ready physically. He clearly wasn't ready mentally. He has had now had three offensive coordinators in two years. They had the offensive coordinator, Chan Gailey, retire slash get fired after 2020. And they had co-offensive coordinators this season. The one weakness out there, the one flaw Brian Flores is coaching, is that in his short time in Miami, he's been unable to find a good offensive coordinator that can develop the quarterback position. But now, if you're able to hire Dable, if you're the Finns, you bring in a quarterback developer that has turned a project uh, of Josh Allen into an MVP candidate that went toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense just on Sunday night. So if you're the Dolphins and you watch that, sure, Tua does not have the same athletic ability, the same skill, the same arm strength, the same you know, mobility and playmaking ability that Josh Allen does. So it's not going to be an exact comparison. But Brian Dable is able to get the most out of Josh Allen for what he had. I think he could do the same thing with Tua. So it makes total sense. It absolutely makes total sense. It would be a great hire for the Dolphins if you are able to bring in a developer of quarterback, a guy who already believes in the quarterback you, that you want to make successful uh, You want to make successful in Tua. And if you're the Dolphins, I think the biggest box you're trying to check in 2022 is figuring out what the hell Tua is. I don't even know what he is. I'm a, I would say I'm more of a Tua believer than doubter. I do think he can have success in the NFL. But the thing that was for the first two years, we don't really know. There's been a lot around him that's either been bad or inconsistent to where at times he's shown flashes, but also at times he's thrown three-yard passes at a time, and it really hasn't done much to elevate the offense. If you bring someone that can develop Tua, 2022 I think is a big year to see can we continue to work with this guy to where he can absolutely progress into a franchise quarterback or 
Is he just not talented enough, doesn't have whatever we're looking for to be an elite guy, and we just got to cut bait and move on? That's what 22 ha- 2022 has to be about for the Dolphins. I think there's no better of way to evaluate what to is, what he can become, than by bringing in Brian Dable. So for me, this would be a tremendous hire. Pat Leonard is reporting that he is a favorite. Brian Dable is to land the job in Miami. He absolutely should be the favorite. He absolutely should land the job. This should be the guy the Dolphins do hire, and I wouldn't wait any longer. I'd pull the trigger, hire him today. So I'm curious the thoughts here. The Broncos hire Nathaniel Hackett. They are going all in on Aaron Rodgers. Is that a good move? Is that a good strategy? You basically put all your eggs in one basket? And if you're Aaron Rodgers, do would you want to go to Denver? If you had the choice, if you were Rodgers, is Denver the number one location you are trying to go to? Or would you stay in Green Bay or try to go elsewhere? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your tweets, we'll get your comments, and we'll also return here. Speaking of to stay or to go, the Nets have a decision. Should they trade James Harden? Woj is reporting that they absolutely will not. Is that the right move? Are the Nets being fools by hanging on to James Harden, who will be a free agent this offseason, or is it the smart move? We will discuss that when we return this into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Top of the hour. This NFL postseason has taught us collectively one thing. It's made quarterback evaluations easier than ever. I'll explain what I mean by in a few minutes. But speaking of evaluations, especially speaking of decision-making, basically whether to keep someone or let them go and move on, the Nets have a decision to make. The Brooklyn Nets have a big-time decision to make with one of their big stars in James Harden. Yesterday, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the Brooklyn Nets are not listening to any trade offers for James Harden. The NBA trade deadline is February 10th. They are not listening to, to any trade offers for Harden. They are not even thinking about trading one of their big three stars before the dead that they're going to ride it at this season. Now, the reason why Woj even had to put out a report like that, in case you missed it, is because there's growing speculation. There are now more and more reports out there. The, the, the major one by Bleacher Report earlier this week, citing that James Harden is unhappy in Brooklyn. He was frustrated with the, uh, with the vaccine status of Kyrie Irving. He's frustrated that you know Kyrie's playing only half the games, um, which means more on the shoulders of, of James Harden. He's frustrated with the rotation Steve Nash is using, how they're kind of closing out games. And he reportedly is frustrated with living in Brooklyn. Doesn't like the climate. Doesn't like that it's cold. And he's really not going to like the climate this weekend when we, at least here in the New York City area, are supposed to get 20 inches, possibly, of snow coming. I'm sure he's going to hate that. And he also hates the taxes that New York State is imposing on his massive salary. So there is reports and there is frustration from James Harden about a lot of things going on and surrounding his time with the Nets. So there's at least speculation of, all right, well, you look at James Harden's contract. He is a free agent after this season. If you're the Nets, do you keep him through the trade deadline and run the risk of losing him for nothing this offseason? Or do you power through and you try to win a title and have it be worth it? Or 
Do you trade him at the deadline, February 10th? You try to get as much back as you can. I don't know if it's Ben Simmons. I don't know if it's another star. And you try to at least recoup some value instead of risking going into free agency and having a star in James Harden walk away without getting anything back. So this Wards report is true that the Nets are keeping Harden. They're not listening to any deals at the trade deadline and will not even think about trading him. Is that the right move? Should they risk keeping James Harden through the trade deadline and risk leading a free agency? Or should they try to cut their losses now, trade them, and get as much value back as possible because it's better than losing them for nothing? For me, I think the Nets are making the right move and not trading. You absolutely cannot trade James Harden this season, and here's why. This trio, and now they have not been on the court a ton, but this trio when they're out there of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, it's too deadly to give up on now. You are too close to the ring to be able to punt on it now, right? The Nets, when they made the trade, when they basically sold their entire future to the Rockets last year to get James Harden uh, to Brooklyn, they were going all in on these three players. They were going all in on the trio of Harden, KD, and Kyrie being the best trio in the NBA and leading to a championship. And I think they're right. The Nets are absolutely right. So you cannot panic now because year one didn't go as planned. And now year two, one of your stars is disgruntled because there's a lot of factors that really no one expected to pop up during the season that have now impacted how the Nets have played so far. But when you look at when these three have been on the court, when things have been going well, they're 13-3 and three together. They've only played 16 games in a little over a year playing basketball together. But in those 16 games, they're 13-3. and three. So what does that show you? That shows you when these three are healthy and on the court together, there's no team in the NBA that can match up to them. I'm a big fan of what the Warriors are doing this year. I'm a big fan of what the Suns are doing this year. I think both teams can absolutely win a title. The Bucs have picked up where they left off uh, from last year. The Bulls are having a, you know, a great start to the season so far. The Sixers are being led by their MVP and Joel Embiid, who really is carrying them to the finish line so far. But if you look at what the Nets have when their big three is healthy on the court, there's no team in the NBA that's matching up with them. The Warriors not keeping up. The Suns not being able to, to match their potency. The Bucks not doing so. Like let's, let's remember, if even two out of the three stars were healthy last year for the Nets in the playoffs, they're getting by Milwaukee, they're beating the Hawks, and I think they're most likely beating the Suns. So this team, if you had either Kyrie healthy or James Harden fully healthy, along with Kevin Durant, I do think are winning the finals, at least bare minimum getting to the finals last year. So I don't see a reason why you got to blow it up and panic now because when healthy and when out there, these three players are by far the best trio in the NBA, and there's no team out there that I think can match up and slow them down. To, to their credit and to my wrongfulness, I guess we'll call it, they have blended together really well. Like there's no, for James Harden's frustration, his frustration is not with the playing style of Kevin Durant. It's not trying to share the ball with Kyrie Irving or not get enough credit. His frustration is basically, James Harden's, is that they're not playing together enough. He's frustrated that Kevin Durant's, you know, injury history and now especially with COVID and other things have prevented them from getting on the court a ton. He's very frustrated with Kyrie Irving, the fact that he's only being, being able to be eligible in half the games because of vaccine status. He wants to play with these other players. It's not like he wants to get his own shine and go somewhere else. He's frustrated because he hasn't been able to play with the guys he came to play with. 
So I don't think it's a reason to blow things up. I don't think it's a reason to all of a sudden punt on this big trio. We have a chance, again, if healthy come playoff time and whether the vaccine mandate changes or if it doesn't and Kyrie's only available for road games, that is still a situation where I think the KD-Harden duo is good enough to get by in, in home games. I think the trio on the road is going to be tough to where I don't think anyone's beaten them. So even though they've played only two games together this season, I think it's worth the risk of carrying through this season with James Harden and risking losing him in free agency. Because you look at, okay, if you're on the side of James Harden should be traded, get, you know, something is better than nothing for James Harden at the trade deadline compared to letting him possibly walk in free agency. Let me ask you this. What are you going to get back? What are you going to reasonably accept in a James Harden trade? You look at potentially buyers like Philly, right? Obviously, we know Philly's been enamored with, with James Harden. Darryl Morey is their you know, GM who had Harden in Houston. There's apparently rumored, you know, interest that mutual interest that Harden would love to play with Embiid next year and that he, you know, if he's a free agent, Philly would be absolutely near or at the top of his list come free agency time. So if you're Philly, you got to think, forget the fact that we could just trade him. He's not going to be a rental because he's a free agent after the year. We can truly sign him and keep him here. Well, if you're the Nets, who are you going to get back? You're going to get back Ben Simmons? Well, the thing with Ben Simmons is, number one, his confidence is totally shot. So what kind of Ben Simmons are you going to get? Massive question. No one knows. He's at least the, the last we know is unvaccinated. So kind of like Kyrie Irving, he also would be unable to play in home games. So now you're taking away one of your true, you know, one of your stars that can still play with Kevin Durant come playoff time, taking him off the court. So now at home games, it's going to be only Kevin Durant by himself, like it was last year in the postseason because injuries trying to carry this team at home, and then all of a sudden on the road, both Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving will be able to play. I don't think that makes any sense. And also, not to mention, guy's going to be rusty. He hasn't played at all this season. So if you trade for Ben Simmons in middle of February, you have no clue what kind of guy you're going to get. And he's going to be nowhere near the in-shape level, um, lot, you know, playing at the height of his game level that you need for him to be at to really make a run in the finals. So I think the, the Sixers for trading for Ben Simmons makes no sense. If you're trading, trying to get Damian Lillard, right? Because there's a star that on the same level, okay, talent-wise, you think that, that trade would make sense. If you're the Blazers, you're not trading for one year James Harden. Again, James Harden being a free agent really does impact us because he doesn't have a lot of value. James Harden himself is a, a talented player, but because he only has one year left to go to go free agency, if you're a team like Portland, you really believe that you can sign James Harden to a long-term extension after trading for him? No. So you're not going to trade Damian Lillard, your franchise cornerstone piece, for a rental in James Harden. Not to mention, if you're the Nets, Damian Lillard is hurt. He had core surgery. So there's no even guarantee he could be back on the court this year. So you're not going to trade for a star in Damian Lillard who's hurt. Bradley Beal, um, I think the Wizards would absolutely say no to that deal in part because, again, James Harden's a free agent, so you don't feel great about retaining his rights past this season. Russell Westbrook, the Nets are saying no to that. So you look at any possible trade with talented players that could be out there, none of it makes sense for either the teams trading for James Harden or the Nets themselves. So you're not going to trade James Harden and get, I don't know, 30 cents back on the dollar. I think for the Nets, it's worth bringing him back, keeping him through the season, running, you know, going to make a title run. And if not... Risking him losing free agency, I'd say that's a better plan 
than trading him now and getting lesser pieces back. It only makes sense for me to, to keep James Harden. Not to mention, there is still, even though he's a free agent, there's still a good chance for the Nets to get something back in free agency if James Harden decides to go elsewhere. Because you look at the cap space this season available in the NBA, there's not a lot of teams with a lot of cap open. So James Harden's going to, cook, uh, going to command a massive, massive contract. So there's not a lot of teams out there, especially contender-wise, that are able to, excuse me, give James Harden the deal he wants. So most likely what's going to happen if James Harden decides to go elsewhere is that there's going to, be have to, there's going to have to be a sign and trade between the Nets and someone else, whether it's Philly, whether it's Boston, whether it's Miami, you name the location, wherever James Harden wants to go play next year, wherever he decides to play, most likely it's going to be a sign and trade deal. So you're going to get something back if you're in the Nets in the summer, most likely anyway. It's a risk. It's a gamble, yes. But most likely, more times than not, you're going to get something back. Whether it's Philly getting Ben Simmons back and seeing what the hell is going to happen, maybe get Tobias Harris in the trade as well. You are most likely going to get something back for James Harden. So you really don't have to risk or worry too much about being left empty-handed in the summertime if James Harden decides to leave. And even if you do, but you win a title, it's worth it. It's worth it. So there's no trade I think that makes sense for the Nets to make. There's no trade partner that I think would take a rental in James Harden. You're not going to do a trade for 30 cents on the dollar if you're the Nets. And I do think it, the, the best case scenario, the most likely option for you winning a title this season is holding on to James Harden. Hoping that Kevin Durant could stay healthy and stay on the court hoping either the New York City laws change or Kyrie Irving somehow by some way, by some miracle gets the, the vaccine and he's able to play in every postseason game, that is your best chance of winning a title. Because like I said, the three on the court together, Harden, Kyrie, and KD, there's no one beating them. If they could stay on the court together for the entire postseason, they are winning the title. That to me, that risk is worth absolutely, or that reward I should say, is worth the risk of letting James Harden walk in free and see without getting anything back for him. So the Nets are absolutely doing the right thing here and not listening to any trade offers, not entertaining any trades, because again, you're not going to get much value back. There's not many teams that are going to be interested in James Harden being a rental for half a season. So you're not going to get anything back of note, of consequence, of substance that would make a trade worth it. Hold on to Harden. They already get along great with Kyrie and KD. Hope KD is healthy. Hope Kyrie gets a shot. And really hope that this is a, a trio that's on the court more than not in the postseason. Because for me, that's going to lead to the playoffs. Or lead to a championship. So I'm curious your thoughts here. James Harden, unhappy in Brooklyn. Has not asked for a trade, but is a free agent at the end of the year. Has indicated he's going to test free agency. And again, corner reports, he's very enamored of Philly. He really wants to play with Joel Embiid. His former GM and Daryl Morey is obviously in Philly. So it's more likely than I think he leaves the Nets in free agency. So you run the risk if you're the Nets of losing a star player for absolutely nothing. Does it make sense for the Nets to cut their losses now and trade him at the trade deadline? Or should they run the risk, hold on to, uh, hold on to Harden, and have a KD, Harden, Kyrie trio try to win a title this year? What should the Nets do? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Speaking of making decisions, the Nets 
like we just mentioned, have a big decision to make. But also, too, do GMs around the NFL. Watching this postseason, I do think made quarterback evaluations for every team easier. I'll explain why that is when you're turning us into the Ryan Key Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. As always, the 10 o'clock hour is sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So check her out uh, online, lcdesignsnyc.com. Also, lcdesignsnyc is her Instagram page where you can check out all of her great work there as well. So make sure you check it out and and, uh, find out more information there, whether it's online or whether it is on the gram, as the cool kids uh, are saying these days. Hickey's Pickies, 30 minutes from now. I am very excited for our, we'll say, final guest, because I, I do think we will bring the regular season champion, Preston Rooksbury Carmines, back for some Super Bowl picks to have him do a little victory lap, if you will. But this is a Hickey's Pickies first. Someone who is scared to come on the show. We will discuss why that is and see how his nerves are in a half hour from now. My guy, H., he only goes by each. Like, Madonna only goes by a first name. Cher only goes by the first name. This man only goes by one letter, H. It'll be a lot of fun half hour from now. But I do want to talk about one of my biggest takeaways from the NFL postseason, especially, unfortunately, not having a dog in the fight being a Colts fan. But I do think watching these NFL playoffs, it has made quarterback evaluation easier. Right? We have watched some elite quarterback play from Patrick Mahomes to Josh Allen, to Matthew Stafford, to Joe Burrow. We have seen all of these guys play at a highly elite level and either lead their team or nearly lead their team to continue to playing this weekend. I think one of the big takeaways is if you don't have an elite quarterback, you really don't have a chance in the postseason. Ask the Titans, ask even the Cowboys about that. But the reason why I'm saying quarterback evaluation has never become easier is because now when you watch these guys play, Patrick Holmes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, when you watch them play, the bar, especially in the postseason, has been raised so high that it's easier than ever now to realize when you don't have something special. It's easier to realize when you don't have a guy that can reach the potential that these guys are on. Like Joe Burrow, to me, is a perfect example and the latest example. He took over a Cincinnati Bengals team that was hapless. They were directionless. They were 2-14. and 14. They were a laughing stock because we know they've had you know years and years and years, decades of postseason failures. Joe Burrow was able to come in, take a 2-14 and 14 team, and in two years, take them to the AFC title game. Not only his play, but his leadership. That culture in Cincinnati has truly changed. You could hear it and see it after their win in Tennessee. They said, forget the underdog. We're a really good team. We expect to be here. You should start respecting us. They dropped the why not us moniker because it was too much of a loser mentality. That starts with a quarterback in Joe Burrow. So when you have one of those guys, it's obviously a franchise changer. 
But if you don't, it also kind of shows you, well, you got to start looking around until you can get one. Like, I do think it takes two to three years to kind of realize, all right, our quarterback is either can be one of the guys or he is not the guy. Right? I would say two to three years to kind of see what the ceiling is on a quarterback. Can he truly reach, at some point, an elite level? It doesn't have to be right away. I'm not saying everyone has to be Joe Burrow and, and literally, you know, heroically, uh, I, hey, I can't even say it. Heroically, I guess, easier to say. Um, carry a franchise from the depths of the bottom to all the way to the top in a quick amount of time. But I do think, even if it's not on a consistent basis, if you were just able to see flashes and shades of a quarterback that could truly be at an elite level, that can reach and keep up with it one day, a Mahomes and Allen Stafford, that's a guy I think we find out in two, three years. Okay, that's our guy. If not, I think it's time for you to move on. Because when you look around the NFL, I would say there's nine teams, nine teams that feel great about their quarterback, that feel great about going into the postseason. Yeah, we got ourselves a chance. We can absolutely win a Super Bowl. Josh Allen and the Bills, you got to feel great, obviously. Burrow and the Bengals. I'm going to put the Texans out here, but it's really because of Deshaun Watson. Whatever team ends up with Deshaun Watson is going to feel that great, assuming, again, legally he's allowed to play next season. But whoever lands Deshaun Watson is absolutely on that list, but for right now we'll put the Texans there, even though he's never playing for them again. Patrick Holmes and the Chiefs, obviously. Justin Herbert and the Chargers, I think, showed you a lot. And Herbert, especially in that final game against the Raiders, showed you he absolutely can raise his level of play when he needs to. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, assuming he's back in 2022. Matthew Stafford and the Rams have joined that list. And Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, which again, Russell Wilson, Matthew Sta- uh, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and Deshaun Watson right now, I include with their current teams. But obviously, those three, I think, most likely will be moved at some point this season. So they will be on new teams. But those are the nine teams slash quarterbacks you feel great about. You feel, okay, no matter who we're playing, no matter what the defense is, no matter you know the quarterback we're playing, we got ourselves a chance. We got ourselves a real one. I think there's five teams that are in quarterback purgatory right now. You're not 100% sure, can this guy be the guy? He's shown flashes at times, but consistency, can he really rise up? Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. He obviously has won an MVP, helped the Ravens get to 14-2. Now, also, on the other hand, Lamar Jackson has struggled in the postseason so far in his three years. Obviously, this year was the only year, but health-wise, struggled to get on the field. I think the Ravens and Lamar Jackson are in a tight position right now where you don't really know truly can Lamar consistently be on the same level as the quarterbacks we just listed. So you still got to figure it out. I would not, if I was the Ravens, give Lamar Jackson a contract extension this year. I want to see how he plays next year. But the Ravens, I would say, right now in purgatory with Lamar. The Browns are absolutely in purgatory with Baker Mayfield. I'm a Baker believer. Obviously, 2021 was not a year, uh, a good year for us Baker believers, but kind of similar to Mar. I want to see what he can do in 2022, kind of as a, a last chance for the Browns to see, is it time for the Browns to move on, or do they f- truly feel they have a guy that they can win with and compete with in a very competitive and a, an AFC filled with young quarterbacks that are on the rise? The Dolphins with Tua, like I kind of mentioned before when they're hiring Brian Dayball, I have no clue what Tua is. I'm more of a Tua believer than doubter, but we really haven't seen a lot from Tua to really know, I would say, one way or another. I really hope they do hire Brian Dayball because I think that's the guy that will be able to get the most out of Tua, and 2022 will truly be able to find out. 
Can Tua raise his game to the next level where he can keep up with the Chiefs, with the Bengals, with the Bills? Or is it time for the Dolphins to scrap their plans and move on? This is going to be a big year for uh, the Dolphins. The Cowboys and Dak Prescott are absolutely in this category. Now, they pay Dak. So this is not, we're talking about quarterback purgatory in terms of do you pay your quarterback or not? The Cowboys already did that. But I'm talking about quarterback purgatory in terms of do you truly feel you have an elite quarterback? Do you truly feel like going to the playoffs, you have the guy that can lead you? For the Cowboys, I would say right now, no. Dak has showed you year and year and year in, year and year out. He can't be trusted in the playoffs. Even this year, with everything that has gone Dallas's way, even with the way he started this 2021 season, coming off the ankle injury, playing at an extremely elite level, his play in the second half of the year really regressed, and it didn't change in the postseason. He was just eh in the playoffs. Just like he was eh in the postseason in 2018, like he was in 2016. He's not played very well come playoff time. So if you're the Cowboys, yes, you invested in Dak Prescott, absolutely. But when you look around the rest of the team where the offense line is, is you know intact, the running game is already paid for, you have great receivers, you have Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, a great one-two punch, you have defense that is full of playmakers. Like For Dallas, there's not many excuses left. I think outside of Mike McCarthy, there's nothing really Dallas can do to get the most out of this team. So if they continue to fall short, if they continue to struggle come playoff time, if you're Jerry Jones, you got to start thinking, is Dak the guy? Is Dak the guy where I can truly, truly feel going into a season, going into a playoff game, that I can trust him to lead this team to a Super Bowl? I would say the Cowboys don't know that answer right now. He hasn't shown it to you. And the final team I think is quarterback purgatory is the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. I like Kyler Murray. I think he can be a really talented quarterback. We see his ceiling is absolutely MVP level. He has the talent to keep up with Allen, with Burrow, with Mahomes. With Stafford, with Russ, with with Brady, he has the talent to absolutely be on that elite level. The question is health and consistency. The last two years, we have not seen Kyler Murray stay fully healthy throughout the year, and we have not seen him play great football down the stretch. The Cardinals really, you know, went into a nosedive late in the season. I think a lot of that's on Cliff Kingsbury, but also Kyler Murray is not shy of blaming that playoff game. He absolutely melted down. Now it's his first playoff game. Maybe the pressure got to him. Maybe that experience now will help him going forward. But I think for the, if you're the Cardinals, you can't feel 100% confident and committed that Kyler can be the guy, again, to match up with some of these quarterbacks. You see, obviously, we saw the insane Bills-Chiefs game where you need your quarterback to make a play. We have seen leadership from Joe Burrow, where even though he's having a bad game, in the moment, in crunch time, he is able to make the big-time throw to win a game, similar to what Matthew Stafford did with the Rams as well. I think these five teams, the Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, Baker Mayfield, the Browns, Tua Tungvaloa and the Dolphins, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, Kyler and the Cardinals, you have hopes and you have seen glimpses at times to where they have shown you, yeah, they absolutely can be on that level. But you haven't seen it consistently enough and you haven't really truly, you don't really right now feel confident that your guy can be the guy for the next decade. So now... If you are any of these other teams, the other basically 16 or 18 teams, right? Because they gave you nine teams that I think feel great about your quarterback, five teams that are in purgatory. So that's 14 teams. The other 18 teams in the NFL, you got to be looking for an upgrade. This postseason should tell you, no matter who your quarterback is, it's not good enough. you got to be turning over every leaf in terms of trades, in terms of free agency, in terms of the draft. There's no point in holding on to... Something that's either not elite 
or not consistent, right? If you are the Titans and Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill showed you now multiple postseasons. He is not the guy to elevate the team. He needs Derrick Henry to be playing at an MVP level for the Titans to have a chance to win playoff games. And if not, you aren't winning. Again, the last three playoff games the Titans have lost, Ryan Tannehill um, has been asked to lead them. Derrick Henry's been held under 100 yards in each game, and Ryan Tannehill has fell flat on his face. Saturday being the latest example. So if you're the Titans, you may not have a choice this year, but if you can upgrade, there's no reason why you shouldn't. The Vikings and Kirk Cousins, enough. We know what Kirk Cousins is. He's not a primetime player. There's no reason. I don't care what his stats are. I don't care you can point to the regular season efficiency. I don't care. We know what Kirk Cousins is. He is someone who cannot be relied upon in the big moment. Move on if you're Minnesota. I get it's easier said than done. If you can't do it this year, I'm not saying just, you know, do whatever you got to do. But know in the back of your mind, Kirk is absolutely not the answer. The Colts and Carson Wentz have to realize uh, Carson Wentz absolutely cannot be trusted. And absolutely, when you watch the, especially in the AFC, we watch the, the level of quarterback play that's going to be around now for the next decade. You can't trust Carson Wentz can consistently be on that level. So you got to move on. Like for me, I will say this. This was definitely an eye-opening experience this postseason because for a long time, I was a believer that if you build a good enough team, that can carry a good quarterback, let's say, to the playoffs, to a Super Bowl. I was a true team-building kind of guy where I thought if you had a really good defense, had a solid run game, great receivers, you know, that could be enough to carry a team to a Super Bowl even if you have just not only quarterback, you have just an okay to good quarterback. But each passing year, I will admit, that philosophy is starting to look more and more foolish. Again, the perfect example is the team I root for. I like the way the Colts have, have built themselves. They have a great running back in Jonathan Taylor. They have a really good offensive line. They have a defense that forces turnovers and flies around. I thought, okay, you know what? You just get a good to pretty good quarterback that doesn't make a lot of mistakes, you, the team around him can elevate the quarterback to a level that is going to be acceptable in the playoffs. That's why I was excited about Carson Wentz. It wasn't even a, a Carson Wentz per se as much as it was, okay, he's shown talent in the past. The team is really good around him. I think now that will lead him to flourish. And I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. Ryan Tano is the same kind of quarterback. So you see, in the big-time moments, especially in the playoffs, that is why quarterbacks make 40 $45 million a year because their, their presence is felt the most in the playoffs. And if you don't have that guy, there's no sense in holding on to someone that you hope can be the guy or no sense in holding on to someone because you feel like there's no other upgrade. I'm not saying it's easy to find your franchise guy because obviously if it was, all 32 teams that have a franchise quarterback they believe in. Again, I gave you only nine that feel great. A fourth of the league basically that feel great about their guy, the rest, the, the 75% of the NFL is still searching. So I'm not saying just to take away, you know, take a flyer on, on any quarterback in the draft and, and take a chance, basically. No, that's how you make your team worse, not better, by just guessing and hoping. Hoping is not a strategy. But what I am saying is when you have the opportunity to go all in to maybe trade for Aaron Rodgers, to trade for Russell Wilson, to trade up, to get a quarterback you identify that could be a great one in the draft, there's no reason in waiting. There's no reason for holding out hope that the guy you have could be the one. Don't be afraid to move on. Look what, look what some teams did that are in great positions right now. The 49ers. Now, Jimmy G takes a little bit of an outlier because I think he has played clutch football when it matters, but as we know, he's kind of up and down through the middle portion of the game. 
But even the 49ers themselves said, you know, Jimmy G can only take us so far. We're going to move on. And they trade up to get Trey Lance. They identify the quarterback they think could go toe-to-toe with some of the greats in the NFL, and they already made a move to get Trey Lance even while Jimmy G is there. The Chiefs did the same thing. They had Alex Smith. He can get you to the playoffs. But once the playoffs come, is Alex Smith the guy that's going to win you playoff games? No. Chiefs identified that. Andy Reid identified that. And guess what they did? They said, Patrick Holmes is the guy we love. We think he can be the one to take the most out of this offense. We're going to go get him. The Bills. I actually forgot this, but I looked it up. The Bills in 2017 gave Trot Taylor a six-year, $92 million contract extension. They made the playoffs with Trot Taylor in 2017. And you know what the Bills did? Two months after the playoff game was over, they realized Trot Taylor is not a guy that's going to elevate us in the postseason. He's not a guy. He's not a quarterback we can rely on to win us games. We got to get someone else. And who do they identify? Josh Allen to be the guy. So the 49ers, the Chiefs, and the Bills all had okay, decent quarterbacks, all had playoff caliber quarterbacks, and all three said, you know what? They're good enough to get us to the postseason. They're not good enough, they're not good enough to win us a Super Bowl. We're making a move. And obviously, the jury's down in trailers. We don't know what he's going to be. But I don't think the Chiefs are regretting moving on from Alex Smith for Patrick Holmes. I don't think the Bills are regretting moving on from Terod Taylor and taking a risk on Josh Allen. Finding an upper echelon quarterback is the only way teams have a prayer in the playoffs. That's why, for me, quarterback evaluations have never been easier. Because now you can identify quickly, can this guy be an elite quarterback? Well, if you don't see flashes, the answer is going to be no. And if he does, can he do it consistently? You have a few years to find it out. But now you see the barometer, especially if you're a GM in in the AFC. When you have all these young, talented quarterbacks coming up, it's easier than ever now because if you realize you don't have the guy, all right, you move on. There's less holding out hope. There's less hoping and praying he can be the guy because he will quickly show you whether he is or not. That's my spiel. That is absolutely my spiel. It's going to be easier said than done for sure. Don't get me wrong, but it's definitely now, I think, for GMs, their job has been easier because it's easier to say, that's the guy or he's not the guy, and you can move on and start thinking about trying to find the next guy that can be, eventually, your franchise guy to lead you to a Super Bowl. Speaking of leading to a Super Bowl, what should the Saints do? Obviously, as we know, Sean Payne retired earlier this week. He is, well, I shouldn't say retired. He's stepping aside. He is probably going to go back to coaching at some point, but it's not going to be the Saints. He is stepping aside for the 2022 season. What should the Saints do now? I have an answer for the direction of New Orleans. I'll give it to you when we return here. Listen to the Ryan Aki Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. I want to pivot here just for a second. We'll get to the Saints maybe at the end of the show. But I do want to at least comment on the career of Ben Roethlisberger because it is official today. He put out a tweet that he is calling it a career. He's officially retiring. Not that that's any surprise, right? We all assumed he's retiring. He kind of hinted at it before the last playoff game. We all kind of assumed coming into this year anyway. This is going to be it, kind of seeing his play kind of fall off a cliff. Um, but I do want to at least give him credit and a shout-out, because I do think 
Ben Roethlisberger throughout his entire career has always been underrated. And here's what I mean by that. It's for someone, uh, when we look at, you know, being drafted in 04, getting to three Super Bowls, winning two Super Bowls, having, you know, tons of, of great passing stats, passing touchdowns, obviously, you know, having a, a very successful and consistent career in Pittsburgh. I do think it's fair to say Ben Roethlisberger throughout his entire career is underrated. Here's what I mean by that. When we're talking about all-time greats, all-time legends, especially in this generation, I don't think Ben Roethlisberger is in the conversation enough. Like, if you look at, let's say, since, let's go from Peyton Manning on, right? So, like, late, late, late 90s through where we are in 2021. You look at some of the best quarterbacks of this generation. Not only is Ben Roethlisberger in there, there's not many quarterbacks I would take over Big Ben. Obviously, Tom Brady. I would take Peyton Manning. I would take Aaron Rodgers. I mean, other than that, I think Ben Roethlisberger is right there. I'd say he's number four. Take him over Russell Wilson. I'd take him over Drew Brees. Like, there are a lot of accomplished quarterbacks that have more records that I think get more national pub, more love for MVP, more love for their individual accomplishments. But when it comes to a career as a whole, I would absolutely take Ben Roethlisberger over Drew Brees. I would take Ben Roethlisberger over Russell Wilson. I think he's been more clutch. I think he's done it for, obviously, a longer time. He's been more consistent. And this is a guy who has never had a losing season in Pittsburgh. Sure, the first Super Bowl they got there was kind of, you know, in spite of him, and he was just along for the ride. But that 07 Super Bowl against the the Cardinals, they're not winning. Or 08, uh, I believe it is. No, 07. 08, 08. The years all get mixed by. I apologize. Um, They're not winning that Super Bowl if it's not for him. Again, we know the throw to Santonio Holmes in the corner of the end zone. That was a tremendous Tremendous throw. But he has been able to consistently, year in and year out, put up big-time numbers, do so for a winning franchise, and always deliver playoff appearances for the Steelers. And he's dealt with some knuckleheads. I mean, we see Antonio Brown melting down in front of our eyes. He dealt with Antonio Brown for a long time. He dealt with Le'Veon Bell for a very long time. But he has been one of the tried-and-true, consistent figures in the NFL. And I do think he doesn't get enough respect in that case. In that situation. Where again, we always talk about Brady. We always talk about Manning. Aaron Rodgers an all-time great. I think we talk about Drew Brees more. I think we talk about Aaron Rodgers. Uh, 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 Russell Wilson more. He doesn't get, I believe, Philip, even Philip Rivers. I don't think Ben Roethlisberger gets the respect he absolutely deserves when it comes to quarterbacks of our generation being right there. We know he's consistent. We know he's great. But I just at least want to give a shout-out on the day that Ben Roethlisberger decides to officially retire officially hang it up. I'm glad that he's not holding out hope. I'm glad he's not going to go to another team for one more season and hang on for dear life. His play was over. His best days are behind him. He's getting out. Well, you know, he doesn't get too, too ugly, kind of like Peyton Manning uh, his final year, even though he won a Super Bowl. Again, it was ugly watching Peyton throw the ball his last year. Glad he's getting out while he still is able to um, stay on top. So, shout out to you, Big Ben. Congrats on a tremendously successful and consistent career. And congrats on what I think being one of the most underrated quarterbacks in all of the NFL. So, we do return here. I am very excited. Like I mentioned before, it is Hickey's Pickies Conference Championship Weekend Edition of Hickey's Pickies. And we'll do so with a man that was a little nervous to come on the show. So we'll ask about his nerves. We'll ask where his, you know, his picks are, his confidence is. And we'll do that when we return. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.
Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on a Thursday morning, the Thursday of Conference Championship Weekend. So it's a lighter edition of Hickey's Pickers, with obviously only two games to go into. But I am very excited for our, our guest here. This is a Hickey's Pickies first. Usually, a lot of confidence from the guests. Usually, a lot of 5-0 declarations and excitement. But a show first. A man who was very nervous about coming on. I thought at one point the phone was ringing a little too long. I thought he was going to duck. But he did end up coming through. We call him Harrison, but or I should say his name is Harrison. We call him H for short. He's like Madonna and Cherry's on a, forget a first name basis, a first letter basis. And thankfully, he has sucked up the nerves and has come on Hickey's Pickies. H, how we doing, man? What's up, Hick? Uh, I'm doing good. Doing good. You know, I uh, got a coffee in me. The brain's, uh, the brain's firing all cylinders. I'm ready to go. So uh, let me ask you this, H. There was a lot of apprehension on your end from coming on. You, you said you didn't want to come on. You're too nervous. What's with the nerves? I feel like we're a welcoming um, atmosphere and environment here on the Ryan Hickey Show, but... Obviously, you are too intimidated. Where are the nerves coming from, man? Uh, I mean, nerves are just – sometimes when I talk sports, you know, I get the names wrong. I'm saying, you know, all these crazy things, and everyone's <laughs> like, they're not even on the team. You know, I, I'm all over the place a lot of times. So, but I'm here. I'm calm. I'm ready to go. I don't know if this yeah, will sure. help or hurt the nerves, H. But Lauren has actually been on the show twice now. She's come on last year. She's come on this year. Now, this year, the picks weren't great. Last year, she didn't know half the teams involved, and she went 5-0. <laughs> so, okay, well, that's a hard bar to hit, though. That is. And, you know, we're, we're, not, trying to, we're not saying you got to go 2-0 and or, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be an embarrassment. Trust me, H, my picks have sucked this year. But... And there was a show, you know, no offense to Lauren. She's not exactly the most sportsy girl in the world. To be honest, she didn't know half the teams existed. She never heard of the Cincinnati Bengals before last year. And she went 5-0. and So, if anything, that should, that should kind of ease your, ease your worries a little bit and make you more confident than, let's say, more nervous. I don't know, Hick, because, like, you know, like March Madness when, uh, you know, the people are just picking the mascots and they, like, get, like, 75% of the games, right? Right. And I'm picking, you know, seeds, and I'm like, oh, I saw North Carolina play them, like, you know, two weeks ago, and all of a sudden I'm, like, 20%, right? You know, sometimes it's, that's you just got to be loosey-goosey, and I kind of, you know, maybe I'll just go that. Maybe can you put, like, anonymous names on the teams, and I'll do that. <laughs> we could do that. One of my other friends, Rob, just picked some of the games based on who would win, like, in an animal fight. Like, for example, I think we – uh, let's just say it was like Georgia Bulldogs going against like, I don't know, like the, the Musketeers. He goes, well, Bulldog would, would win, so we'll, we'll go with the Bulldogs. So he, he did like mascot like in, in nature, nature versus nurture, and he turned out all right. I, I would do that. I would do that. But what you're saying, H, I like this philosophy from you. You're saying you're worried about being too smart. Like you're worried about knowing too much that you think it's going to hurt you, not help you. Yeah, just over-calculating, you know, over-adjusting, uh, over and then all of a sudden, um, you know, other crazy things happen, but yeah, definitely, I'm definitely worried about being too smart. <laughs> you know, H, that's when you know you're a smart guy, a Columbia educated man, where you're worried about being too smart than too dumb. The last thing I'll say that I don't know will help or hurt you either way, I will say is last week 
was the only week we had a guest picker go 4-0, go undefeated. Now, again, a little bit less games. We usually do five. Uh, there's only four last week. But my guy, Mike Pooling, went 4-0, the only undefeated run this year. Now, you're fouling that up. Could be a lot of pressure. You feeling better uh, about maybe going, you know, following it, the only undefeated uh, streak or worse? I feel better. Okay. I, I got two games. That's it. So I have, I have better odds. And um, and I feel like you kind of got lucky, though, last week if, with the Chiefs, you know? I mean, they really shouldn't have won that game. So, wow. Uh, H, this is why I'm glad you're on because you are doing things that no one's ever done before. Everyone is usually coming overconfident and feeling great. You are the, the exact opposite. You're feeling very nervous and almost ducked the show. Now you're I'm a mess. you're calling out other pickers for getting lucky, man. They don't know what they're talking about. What luck? H, this is this is already a home run, man. You're killing it. Who else you want to trash? Uh, wait, what? So who else you want to trash? You're, you're calling out, you know, people for getting lucky last week. Oh, they shouldn't have won that game. The Chiefs shouldn't have won. So I love it. You're trashing other pickers of the show. So let's keep it going, H. Who else you want to call out? Yeah, no, no one else. Okay. Um, no, nah, uh, yeah, yeah. No more trashing. Um, I guess maybe, I mean, Lord probably got lucky too, but I don't even want to get into that. Well, you know, she, trust me, she absolutely got lucky. Don't <laughs> let her tell you any different. So H, we will get into the picks before the, the nerves kind of come over and cripple you. We'll go AFC title game, Bengals and Chiefs. The team that was lucky in your mind to even be here, the Chiefs are hosting the Bengals and the Chiefs are seven point favorites will the luck continue or is joe burrow gonna dominate go in there and break the hearts of cheese fans yeah and it's it's at arrowhead at arrowhead it's gonna be very loud yeah i'm going i'm going joe burrow nice uh, going joe burrow i just feel like you know, like the chiefs defense couldn't even defend davis on the, the on the bills uh last week and like you know they got our boy jamar chase i just I don't see unless Tyron Matthews back, um, them having a. Sh I don't know like what his injury because he got hurt in that last game. Um, but yeah, I think we got Bengals. I think I think Jamar Chase is going to crush it. I think Bengals won last time they played. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't understand why they're so um, the underdog. Is it just a home field kind of thing? Home field. Maybe the Chiefs' offense is looking. You know, looking great. Obviously, maybe the O line. When people are concerned about the Bengals O-line because Joe Burrow got sacked nine times last week. Hopefully the guy can make it out of Arrowhead Stadium alive this time. Um, look at you, H, by the way. You sandbagger. Oh, I'm, I'm nervous. I don't, you know, I don't want to get anything wrong. You, you're shouting out Gabe Davis. You're shouting out Tyron Matthew. H, you know what you're doing. You are, I, I love the philosophy. You are trying to sell low, under, you know, underperform or undersell, and overachieve. If that's my life, Nick. <laughs> that's how you got to do it. If you come right above the, you gotta, you gotta be above the curve. And if you set the curve, oh, oh my God, you're always gonna be above it, right? Great life advice. You never want to oversell and underdeliver. Underdeliver. You always want to <laughs> yeah, undersell and overdeliver. Folks, this is what we, we even give life advice here on Hickey Spakers. Forget just the just the picks. Life advice. H with great advice to live by. I love it, man. This is why we bring smart guys like you on. <laughs> I will say though, I'm gonna go the Chiefs. I love Joe Burrow. I love the Bengals. With that said, I think the Chiefs' offense is just too potent right now. I am worried about the Bengals' O-line. Like, you're getting under siege the entire game. Even Joe Burrow, how great he is. You can only do so much before, you know, you have Chiefs defenders in your face every single play. Like you said, the Chiefs' defense was awful, awful, awful last week. With that said, I do think that they'll be a little bit better. 
um, enough to where the Chiefs' offense will continue to score a lot of points. I don't think that the Bengals' defense is very good. They're not going against Ryan Tannehill. That's for damn sure. And the first time they played, like you mentioned a few weeks ago, Jamar Chase is unstoppable. 266 yards, three touchdowns. I'm going to go on a limb here, H. I don't think that's going to happen again. I don't think the Chiefs are dumb enough to let Jamar Chase go off again. So I will put my faith in the Chiefs defense getting, let's say, one more stop than the Bengals. I will say the Chiefs win and win by more than a touchdown at home. So I will go KC. You, as a smart man, are going the Bengals. The other game, H, 49ers and Rams. The 49ers have won six games in a row over the Rams. Kyle Shannon has dominated uh, Sean McVay. This game will be in L.A. in SoFi Stadium, but not many Rams fans. It looks like it'll be a home game for the 49ers. Again, a lot of red in the stands. The 49ers are three-and-a-half-point underdogs. Where are we going, H? Yeah, here I'm going. I'm going Rams because I feel like I in that last game, like Tom Brady couldn't even do anything because uh, the defense just kept getting to him. So I think that um, Aaron Donald and uh, who's the other one? Von Denver. Miller. Yeah, Von Miller. They're just going to, I think they're just going to keep like just grinding Jimmy down, you know? And, grinding uh, him down. Yeah, like, you know, like, you know, he starts throwing those like off throws that are going nowhere just because he's getting like half hit. Like, I think that's going to be happening a lot. So I think the Rams are going to, I think the Rams are going to crush him here. <sighs> crush him. Let's go, H. I am in agreement with you. I think the Rams are going to win because you know why? Matthew Stafford ain't no Aaron Rodgers. Matthew Stafford is coming to play, H. He's not laying an egg at home like Aaron Rodgers did last week. He's not going to be, you know, going three and out. The Rams, I, I was a believer in the Rams for a while. I was a big believer in Matthew Stafford. A lot of doubters out there. And last week with the team, with the game crumbling, where I thought they were for sure about to give the game away and have Tom Brady have another epic comeback, Matthew Stafford said, not on my watch. Those that incredible pass Cooper Cup to eventually win the game. I think that confidence that Matthew Stafford had last game carries over. There's a new swagger out the Rams. They can believe in their quarterback. And six games in a row will end on Sunday. The Rams, with the, with the victory, will become the second straight team to host a Super Bowl in their home stadium. Rams win and cover the three and a half points. We're both on the Rams there. H, you're on the Bengals plus seven. I'm on the Chiefs minus seven. All right, H, uh, that's it. It's painless. Uh, how are we feeling? Did you, did, are you glad you came on? You glad you powered through? Yeah, I'm glad I came on. Uh, I wish I knew my heart rate right now, though. <laughs> you sweat. You don't have to go to the gym today, which is probably good. You got your exercise in the last 10 minutes. No, Pel no Peloton. Wow. There you, so there you go. The, the Hickey's Pickies experience creates more adrenaline and, and works you out more than a Peloton exercise. Not bad. Maybe I'll, I'll use that as my next... Uh, next pitch for some people to come on h thanks for coming on man i'll see you on the slopes next week hopefully you know you won't be eating too much of my snow and we'll uh, we'll have a blast man uh, go lines <laughs> we thank the great harrison dittmeyer we just call him h share is share madonna is madonna h is h we appreciate him coming on we appreciate him braving the nerves to come on and give two great picks here on the show so that'll do for this edition of Hickey's Pickies. Like I said, I'm going the Rams here at home to win. I do think the the six games in a row was interesting for the 49ers over the Rams. I do think there's some aspect there. But again, I do think the confidence that the Rams have coming off of a game where 
Frankly, I think they lose if Jared Goff's quarterback. They lose if almost any other quarterback is under center for the Rams. Matthew Stafford did come up clutch and was able to uh, lead L.A. to victory. I think that confidence will carry over into this week, and they will beat the 49ers. And the Chiefs' offense, look, I love Joe Burrow. I've been rooting for him a lot. The, the Bengals have kind of been the team I've been rooting for the most, um, we'll say, in the postseason from the AFC. But with that said, I do think that first matchup, even though the Bengals won, does favor the Chiefs more now in the second uh, matchup because I think now they realize, all right, we know what to defend Joe Burrow. We know what basically not to do, allow Jamar Chase to play one-on-one all game long. I think that will benefit the Chiefs more than it does actually the Bengals. And I do think at home, Casey will just outscore the Bengals enough to where they will win by more than seven. So I think the Chiefs minus seven, Rams minus three and a half, both home favorites. But I think that's going to be the Super Bowl matchup we see as we break down on Monday morning. So again, thanks so much for for, uh, tuning in on this Thursday. We appreciate you making us a part of your very busy Thursday morning. Have a great, great weekend. If you are here in the uh, Northeast Hopefully the snow doesn't impact us too much, but hopefully digging out of wherever you are isn't too stressful. But stay safe, stay sane, enjoy both playoff games this weekend, and we will be back on Monday to break it all down right here. But where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It it, is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome. 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 Welcome, welcome, welcome.